Hey guys, what is going on? How are you? Great, great. Thanks so much for having us on. Thanks yeah, for sticking around after the intro. Uh <laughs> was awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Sometimes I feel like I have guests on and, and the intro plays and I'll like check them out in the background and I'll be like, oh, oh, they don't know what this is. Uh, <laughs> they they want to leave. Um, but I, I really appreciate it. Um, so real quick, just introductions. Uh, uh, Alan, if you want to go first, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, who you are. Um, and then Gan, if you could continue after him, that'd be great. Sure. So I'm Alan Jenkins. I'm a professor of practice at Harvard Law School. I'm a recovering civil rights attorney and co-author, co co-creator of One Six, the graphic novel. Beautiful. Gan, go for it. Great. I am not. My name is Gan Golan. I'm not a Harvard oh. professor. I am uh, a <laughs> activist and artist, um, but always looking for the ways in which we can really get a message across and mobilize people to do good things. Uh, for the world and for each other um, through art and culture. And um, I am a co-creator of One Six, the graphic novel. Uh, awesome, dude. I, I, I was glad John sent me the uh, the PDF. I got to read One Six, the graphic novel. Immediately fell in love with it. Immediately wanted more. Here, here's the craziest thing, though, about it. And I don't know if anybody's brought it up yet. So One Six is a very traumatizing day, even if because it's basically what if it had succeeded. That's what your your whole concept is. Uh, it's a traumatizing day for everybody, and it didn't succeed. And you guys were like, let's make it worse. <laughs> and I'm curious, though, like, because, I mean, obviously it affected everybody in different ways, but you guys had to go a step further and actually reimagine, had this succeeded, what life would have been like. Did it, did it like maybe fuck with you guys a little bit? Did you have a hard time, like, going, like, my God, how close were we to really, you know, having this uh, dystopian kind of setting um, and make it in place? Did it, did it mess with you a little bit? Yes, it did. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I'll start. I can say that, you know, there's an expression, action cures anxiety. Mm. And so, you know, I was after the insurrection, I was waking up at three in the morning in cold sweat, feeling like, look, this almost worked. If the threats still remain, these, these people haven't gone anywhere. And yet the country is acting as if, well, we dodged a bullet. Let's move on. Right. And, you know, I, the way I felt was, yeah, we maybe we dodged one bullet, but there's 10 more bullets coming at us and we need to start acting like it. And so doing something about it, even though it took us in some very dark places, actually was empowering for me. I was less anxious, uh, you know, because we were taking some action. Absolutely. What about you, Gun? Yeah, I mean, that's the funny. I, first of all, I love the title of the show, Dystopia Tonight. Uh, that's right up our alley. That's, you know, that's our specialty <laughs> here. And, um, you know, it just underscores why dystopia is, is such an important thing to talk about. Because if you look at the tradition of dystopian storytelling, whether it's, you know, The Twilight Zone or Handmaid's Tale or all these great things right. um, in pop culture, it's a wake-up call. And exactly as Alan said, it's the ignoring it that is the problem. That's the thing that will eat away at you. Um, it's really something you have to look at the worst possible scenario um, that is very likely in our future if we don't do something about it because it's a call to action. You gotta, yeah. you gotta wake up, you gotta pay attention, you gotta do something about it. And that's really the only way to get at that sort of existential dread that's, that's sort of sitting there um, because we're not really, we know there's a problem, but we're not quite focusing on it. And we sort of want to brush it aside, but dystopia puts it right in your face and says, no, this is a possible future. And in order to avoid this future, we're going to have to do a lot of work to do that. And so, um, uh, but in the process, as you do the research and you dig deeper into, um, you know, particularly on 1-6, what we saw out on the National Mall was just the tip of the iceberg. Once you see the rest of the iceberg, you're like, holy moly. Yeah, we need to talk about this. We need to tell a story so that other people can see this clearly and we can all do something about it together. Absolutely. It's one of the things when I uh, when I got approached by John to have you guys on and I learned more about the comic book, I sent it to other friends who felt the same way, who kind of felt like, you know, are we losing? It really is one of those things where like, because it's not represented correctly in the media or, you know, there's only certain outlets that you are seeing 24-7, you do start to feel crazy. And maybe you're like, and, and the only way to kind of, you know, put a salve on that is to have artists like yourselves go, no, no, no. <laughs> like, like this is, this is the way real people feel and you're not mm -hmm. crazy and you're not alone in that. And I kind of just, I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like, 
you guys have to read this because it, it does feel like you're alone to a certain extent and it's a hard thing to fight but i love that you guys are doing it uh first of all through a medium that i've feel like it shaped my life uh just growing up i mean you know and i and i read a little bit about um I think some of the influences basically you guys had referenced um, Captain America and him fighting the Nazis back. Like, like comic books, do you have a history of kind of, um, you know, I mean, for lack of a better word, illustrating, you know, just exactly what's going on in the country and, and the world and stuff. So it's um, I don't know, it's an important medium for me and it's helped me shape who I am. Are you connecting with people better? Like, do you find that like through this, you're able to kind of articulate how you're feeling and able to connect with maybe other media sources who didn't quite, step up to the level you know what i mean yeah it's a it's a great question i you know it's been interesting we spoke with a lot of reporters before we started doing interviews about the comic book mm -hmm. we spoke with a, a lot of reporters uh on background so that we could make sure that the accurate parts of our the, the true parts of our graphic novel series are in fact accurate and nice. that was fascinating it was like therapy for them because a lot of them were like I, you know i was there i've been screaming into the wind and nobody seems to be paying attention and so right. we started reaching out to reporters i didn't know how they were going to react to you know like will you talk to us about our comic book and i don't think anybody said no uh and you know they were uh you know uh, excited and you know in a way about it uh and so yeah but you know to answer the Second part of your question, John. Um, yeah, once we started doing interviews, I think if, uh, let me put it this way. I'm a, a law school professor. I do a lot of lecturing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if I had done a lecture about, you know, the threats that remain from the, yeah, it would have been, you know, crickets. Right. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, this has been a very good way to connect with new audiences. Awesome. And how did you guys wind up actually hooking up? Uh, we go way back <laughs> Alan and I, um, from our, from our different worlds really converged. Uh, you know, Alan ran for over a decade, a, a very influential organization, social justice messaging, um, organization, uh, the opportunity agenda. And they sort of brought me into their orbit as an artist, really recognizing how artists were an important part of the conversation that we needed to have in this country, both in naming the things that are not being named, making the invisible visible so mm -hmm. we can talk about the deep problems and challenges that this country faces but also the visioning where's the hope you know right. where's where's uh the 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 vision for a, a future we all can feel we're a part of and fight for together and so he brought together a whole lot of artists um who were sort of working in this arena and it was the first time i was actually able to meet so many artists um doing this kind of work and it was a life changer for me and that's when we i think to our first gathering, I actually showed up in a superhero outfit <laughs> in a comic, a graphic novel I had made called The Adventure of the Unemployed Man about the um, economic crisis. What happens to superheroes during the economic crisis? And That's I don't genius. think Alan knew anything about me before that moment. But after that, there was like, oh, I, we need to talk. So um, that I think is I, was, brilliant. I was dressed up as the master of degrees, which was a uh, <laughs> grad student instructor who, um, you know, his his weapon was a ball and chain of his student debt that he would use to, you know, attack, attack corporate loan sharks. So um, anyway, I think that was that was the beginning of a beautiful relationship. But it's continued mm -hmm. on uh, now for, wow, almost, uh, I think, over a decade, actually. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's going to be a good relationship when that, that person doesn't have you immediately committed for showing up in an outfit <laughs> where you're like, oh, we're going to be really good in spandex. It was all over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, One of my colleagues, uh, uh, Betsy Richards at the opportunity agenda, you know, he said, well, she said, well, we're, we're inviting this one guy and Alan, I think you're going to like him. So <laughs> she nice. was right. That's awesome. When you, when you guys are doing this kind of stuff, did you stumble upon anything that you were like hesitant to put in the book? Like if you're talking to reporters, researchers, researching stuff where you were like, Oh man, I don't know if legally we can kind of kind of toss that in there, or maybe it's it's not good for the public. You know, it's an interesting question because the things that are already documented as facts mm. are so extreme, right? That once you put them together in a story, it's like we didn't need to embellish things that much. We basically took so many of the things that the insurrectionists stated as this is what we want to do, and just put that into the story as things that happened. 
Mm-hmm. And um, it's, you know, it's real over the top. They were, you know, overtly threatening the life of the vice president and, yeah. and threatened to hang him on the National Mall with the tacit encouragement of the president of the United States. Like, that is insane. Right. Um, you know, the, the threats of violence and the preparation for violence that happened uh, um, on January 6th or could have happened um, is, I think, much deeper than most people know. But it is... Um, it's quite vast. There was a lot of, um, you know, more than just words. It was, um, you know, a lot of people brought weapons to yeah. January 6th and were not apprehended, but a lot of weapons were confiscated. There were two pipe bombs. You know, we still don't know who was behind that. Um, right. So it's, it's kind of, we did not have to do a lot of exaggeration to tell a really powerful, you know, and at a times very scary story. So um, I'm trying to think of what we what we didn't include. It was mostly just a question of length because there was so much <laughs> we had to edit it down. But um, yeah, the the reality is is pretty insane. Well, that's cool that you didn't come up against anything in particular that people were like, yeah, you can't throw that in your book. Like it it seems like you got a lot of cooperation as far as like them divulging information and being like, yeah, fucking use it all. Yeah, yeah we have, we have a good lawyer yeah. too. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah that that's got to help completely um the the cool thing though too is i mean are you finding it harder or easier with this to kind of um enlighten people who may have the wrong idea about what happened on january 6th or maybe not all the information because it's it, you're never going to get zealots you know what i mean like you're never going to get those people who are diehards but have you come across people who were potentially like confused and on the fence and cleared it and, and really had a good conversation with them over it? Yeah. With, with a few, I mean, it's, it's um, early days, but mm. um, you know, both conversations that I've had with folks and uh, including, you know, I have friends who I went to, you know, high school with who are, you know, on all different parts of the, the spectrum, uh, the ideological spectrum. And uh, it's, it's helped. It helps to convey a bunch of information uh, that they wouldn't trust, you know, necessarily from from other sources. Uh, it, you know, interestingly, we've you know we've gotten some haters, but their <laughs> their critiques are interesting too, because most of the right wing pushback we've gotten is, uh, you know, oh, this is an exaggeration. You know, it's basically what Tucker Carlson is is uh, on Fox sure. right now. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's kind of damning in its in its criticism. I mean, they're not Mm -hmm. able to point out anything and say, well, that's ridiculous because. Right. uh, And so, you know, I think that helps to convince others, too, who are on the fence when they kind of look at, well, yeah, actually, you're not denying any of any of this stuff. You're just saying it's an exaggeration. And we're saying, yeah, it's an exaggeration. That's Mm -hmm. that, you know, the whole point of it. It's an exaggeration of what could have actually happen. So, yeah, I feel like we're reaching some folks. But, you know, another thing is an important audience for us is people who it's it's not so much that they're undecided. It's that they're disengaged. Yeah. They have, you know, they haven't had time to, you know, read the 820 page House, you know, January 6th committee report. They're not glued to the TV the way a lot of us are, but they'll you know, they love comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, they love comic books and they love democracy. And when we can connect those two things, I think we can reach some new folks. Yeah. And that's another part of it, too, is the education and action guide that you guys have, um, which I think is probably the most influential thing anybody can do. Like, even for me, like I, I've gone to the protests. I've I've definitely, you know, uh, marched and done all that kind of stuff. But sometimes you are kind of left in the, in a position or in the dark where you're like, I really don't know how to help. And if maybe the way I'm thinking of helping is benefiting anybody, because, you know, it's that's another thing that there's there's so much misinformation about. But you guys have kind of figured out a way to crystallize it. Can you talk about that a little bit? Gone, you want yeah. to start? Sure. I mean, this is this was an important piece for us. You know, it wasn't just a piece of entertainment that we are creating. Mm-hmm. Um, that's maybe where we're starting, but we want to lead people into actual pathways to do things and uh, out in the world that are actually going to matter and and help keep this dystopian picture of reality from actually happening in our right. future. And so uh, we're developing this action guide and it will have a whole bunch of resources that will direct people to organizations they can participate in that are already doing good work. We're not trying to replicate their work. We're just trying to say, hey, go here 
Right. Um, you know, we're going to have some of these challenges right up front with the next election. There is going to be attempts at election suppression at all levels, deciding who can vote, where they can vote. And if they show up on the day, um, will they have a fair and equal chance to vote um, without intimidation or fear? And so mm -hmm. it's going to require all of us to step up and help create, you know, the 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 safe space, the orderly um, process that everyone is guaranteed to in this country simply to vote. So election defense is going to be a big part of, I think, the work we should all try and participate in uh, in the upcoming election. And then there's a lot of things, you know, on the personal level, um, you know, certainly reaching out to family members, paying close attention to people who are being, uh, you know, sort of sucked into some of these, um, you know, these white supremacist adjacent organizations yeah. and how to talk to them in a constructive way. You know, we're in a very polarized moment. It's easy to condemn people, but how do we start to engage people in a deeper conversation that might pull them away from the dark side? Um, and uh, and there'll be a whole, whole host of other things. Alan, I don't know if you want to say more about that, but um, but that was really important to us, that it's not just the story uh, and the, uh, you know, sort of the sci-fi piece, but what can we do in the here and now? Yeah, I, I would just add that we've partnered with an amazing nonprofit organization, the Western States Center, uh, mm -hmm. that is a pro-democracy, uh, anti-bigotry based in, in Portland, but they're a national organization. And so we're, we're co-producing the uh, Education and Action Guide. I have uh, you know, two amazing research assistants, uh, uh, Emily and Jennifer, who are fact-checking and making sure that we're both accurate and, and transparent. Uh, and we have a, a website, 16comics.com. So it's O-N-E-S-I-X, comics.com, where folks can go to sign up, get updates, all of that. That's a, a really important part of why we're doing this. We, you know, we picked comic books because we love comic books and because mm -hmm. it's a medium that can reach lots of different types of folks. And we want to make sure that, uh, you know, the, those of our readers who want to take action can do it and that it can be as easy as possible. Yeah. And the characters that you guys make in those comic books too, they're great to have somebody identify with too. Cause it's, it, the writing is great and the, and the art is amazing. And then you're like, Oh my God, that person's me, or I want to be that person. That's the mm -hmm. kind of thing I find interesting when people talk about, um, um, teaching um oh my god i'm blanking on the uh this happens to me i swear to god way more than i'd like to admit it my like but um I mean, got it. yeah yeah right i'm like i'm like you know this will all be we'll cut this uh but, <laughs> and then it'll look like i knew exactly what i was talking about yeah but um when they when they're talking about teaching you know um basically black history but i can't think of the name of the critical race theory critical race theory it blows my fucking mind when they talk about how they shouldn't teach critical race theory in school because it puts guilt on them. And I'm like, why are you automatically assuming the white kids are going to side with oppressors and not the, like, isn't, isn't that such a weird argument for them to even make? I'm like, you're just assuming, like, that's ridiculous. So that, that in and of itself is kind of insane. But yeah, the characters that you guys made, they're uh, like, I like them a lot and they're great to identify with it. And it makes you kind of want to like be them. So that's a great way to do it. And you can't always be Spider-Man, but you can be somebody in one of those comic books, uh, you know, uh, doing the right thing. Do you, do you find, um, cause I want to talk about, you mentioned like the media and stuff like that and kind of the opposition and Tucker Carlson. I find it extremely difficult to talk to relatives about even, uh, the leaks that they've had at Fox news. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I'd love to get your opinion on that because I, you know, it, I find a lot of people are either giving up and they're like, look, that's just my aunt. She's 75, you know, she's got, another two years tops we'll get the house it'll be fine you know or whatever like <laughs> like why start the argument but 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 the thing is is that it is really frustrating because to me i'm like oh my god like here's this great uh you know uh media dump that came out of the news and it's like oh my god they're actually lying to you they've been lying to you this whole time and it's still like over goes over their heads they don't care they think it's a fallacy do you focus on that at all do you bother with it or do you go let me just concentrate on the people i can you know, win over whatever, because it does seem like a losing battle on that end where I don't know how to get to con I don't know how to convince people who seem to have gone off the deep end. Like you can't leave everybody behind. Right. But there's a question in there somewhere, by the way, I think you understand what I'm saying, but like it, it, it is, it's a frustrating thing for me because it, it's, you know, I feel like you guys have the right approach and the right attitude and you seem optimistic about making active change, but it's, 
uh, I just see these other people who it doesn't matter what you say, what you present to them, what you tell them. How do you handle that? Mm. It's a really good question. And, you know, there's so many different sort of uh, points Layers. on the spectrum that mm -hmm. someone might occupy. And as you said, like people who, you know, this is their entire worldview sort of depends on believing these things uncritically might right. be harder to reach. But um, but that's not everybody. And we need to be speaking to everybody and understand that they everyone still are human beings and they are coming from a place often of trauma and hurt and fear. And you need to get to the root of a lot of what of that fear and insecurity is about. Um, and and also understand, help people understand they're being, you know, they are being taken advantage of very explicitly. And we've learned this with this media dump from from uh about Tucker Carlson and and all this trove of texts from Fox News behind the scenes that they have very little um, concern or even respect for their own audience. They knowingly told people things that they were was were not true and they did it to keep their members and their their advertising and their profits um, and did not um, really mind that they they were, you know, overtly saying things that uh, telling their viewers things that were falsehoods. Right. Um, and, you know, this, I think this goes uh, down the line, you know, we see with Trump, just, you know, the total disrespect he has for many of his followers and yeah. helping people understand, like, you know, many of these people that are in, in, you know, in these insurrectionists or supporters, we see them as perpetrators of something horrible. They have also been enmeshed in something in which many of them are victims. I mean, let's keep in mind, there were people who were, who died on January sure. 6th, who were, Trump supporters who were led, mm -hmm. you know, into this, uh, misled into this. There were, there's hundreds of people who will be in jail for a very long time. I honestly think those people should have a, a class action lawsuit against Trump and Fox News right. because they are very much uh, were preyed upon and are victims of a disinformation campaign. And that may not sink in at first, but I think when people start to see like, wow, these people really didn't um, their concern for the things that I cared about wasn't genuine. And they're really just trying to uh, mobilize me to their own ends. That's, you know, I think there's, there could be a wake up call there. Sure. Uh, yeah. How, yeah. How does something like that work, Alan, for a class action lawsuit against a press? Like, cause it seems like even, yeah, I really just, I don't know that much about any of that stuff, but what I keep hearing all the time is like, it's either next to impossible, you know, and there's all these things set up to protect somebody like Trump or, or somebody who's a president or whatever. And then other times I hear like, oh, they're just going to bankrupt him through uh, several lawsuits or or if they do this, this and this, he won't be able to run again. But now that we're inching closer to 2024, it looks like he's running again. And I don't know what happened in the middle. What, like what broke down? Wow. So that's a lot of questions. Yeah, sorry <laughs> about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, a, a few things. One is uh, just to, you know, um, build on what Gon said. I, I always say to my students, empathy is your greatest superpower. If you, you know, if you don't work to understand someone, you have no chance of persuading them or of learning from them. And so right. finding shared values what whatever those might be in other words not just telling somebody they're stupid and racist uh it, you know or assuming that they have all the same values you have but actually talking and listening right. and to gan's point trying to figure out what their sources of trauma and the like are uh, you know on the legal side you know we have a first amendment in our country and so it's very difficult to hold someone liable for their speech and it should be right, right. we should all be able to, you know, give a, a, a passionate speech uh, or communicate passionately without having to worry about if we say one wrong thing, we're, we're going to be held liable. That said, uh, you know, there is a crime of incitement, incitement to violence and incitement uh, to interfere with governmental uh, activities. And a lot of the people who are physically uh, present on January 6th who broke into the Capitol some of them are have been convicted of sedition, for example. I, and, you know, there are a lot of people who believe that President Trump ought to be next in line for that prosecution. I, you know, I, I think that, you know, people have to judge for themselves that part of our job is to put the information out there about what actually happened and then, you know, what was intended. Nice. And, that, and the incitement part of it, too, is I find that very, very frustrating because I'm, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, I speak, I talk for a living. I'm a stand-up comic. I've been doing stand-up for 17 years. I've been doing this since the beginning of the pan, or middle pandemic when we couldn't tour anymore. But I have a genuine problem with 
um you know i mean just as an example like the the joe rogan like that like i know like he's i'm sure he's a nice guy um and uh you, yeah i know it's one of those things that i say and i'm like oh god but but whatever it is but i do have a genuine problem with like you know you've got over what like 11 million listeners an episode and then add that up or whatever it is there has to be some level of accountability or responsibility when you're at that level and just what they've done with COVID alone drives me absolutely insane and the misinformation there but there is does seem there does seem to be a like a kind of cognitive dissonance in terms of like a way to combat it and how you go about it and it's like people seem to use that free speech line a lot and uh and I don't you know, I, I don't know how to protect ourselves from something. Like, I really want you guys to do uh, a COVID comic book one day. I don't know how you can make it worse uh, <laughs> than, than it already has been. But That's there's true. just the level. I was thinking about that when I was when I was, uh, you know, reading the PDF that John sent over, um, because somebody has to explain that in a way, in, in a clear way that you guys have explained this. And I think it might be uh, helpful. But there is a similarity, I think, in the way people talked about the one six. Um, the January 6th incident. And then also uh, the way they talk about COVID, there's just not a clear picture of either one. Um, and I don't know, you know, legally what you can do about somebody who's out there every day with a million, with millions of followers who can literally just say like anything. And then they just go, Oh, we were just talking. Mm -hmm. Don't know how you battle that. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are limits to, to free speech and especially when your speech gets people killed and when you know that what you're saying is false and likely to get them killed. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it's it's still the accountability is still difficult. I, you know, you mentioned COVID. We actually in, in issue two, there's a, you know, a scene that takes place in a, in a COVID ward and it kind of connects the dots that you're connecting to nice. about uh, misinformation, disinformation, really, uh, and how dangerous it is how dangerous it is both in the political realm and in the public health realm. That's awesome, man. I, I can't wait to that. Cause that that's another thing that I feel like I would just eagerly throw that at somebody and be like, that just read, just read this, <laughs> like just take a look at it and, and let it sink in. Cause it's, it's, it's super, super frustrating. And I don't know, uh, I guess for you guys, it's even worse because you're, you're actually teaching students and you're like, man, do you see, do you, is that like, give you hope a little bit though, when you're teaching the younger generation, do you feel like they're, they're better at this than we are? Yeah, it definitely does. They're, they're definitely better. Um, at least the students that I encounter, mm. uh, they're better than certainly than my generation was. They understand this notion, you know, we, we, you know, often talk about this idea of an intersectionality. But, you know, they get it that the the you know rights and safety of immigrants is deeply connected to the rights of, you know, people of color and LGBTQ plus folks and, you know, straight, cis, white dudes. We're all yeah. in it together, you know, right. and they understand that in a way that, you know, perhaps previous generations haven't. And they also sure. see that we are jacking up their future, that <laughs> between climate change and yeah. the threats to our democracy and guns, just to name three, uh, that we have screwed up the country and world in a way that is going to be left to them to fix. And the good news is, I think, you know, they're they're gearing up to do it. And many of them are already already in it. So that yeah, that's very much what gives me hope is is working with uh, younger folks and the, the up and coming generation uh, who are an activist generation. Yeah, uh, they they are a, a generation that for whom social movements uh, are a main way that they move through the world. And that was not true of, you know, Gen Xers, for example. No, no, they kind of just I know I, I almost sort of envy Gen Xers when they like kick back and relax and they don't have any. I'm like, oh my God, how do you guys get away with that shit? That is everything is on my mind 24 seven. Like that's a that's a particular gene that I kind of envy. And I'm I'm like an elder millennial, which I almost hated, like. So I'm like that, you know, I grew up with like before cell phone, like still had a CD. Maybe I still had a, a cassette tape or two, uh, but then grew into all that stuff. And my friends and I are always in this weird position where we're like, we get it. And then we, we're like half in, half out. We're like, we're like, we really want to do something. And then we'll go to do it. And we're like, well, that didn't fucking work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we just, and then we're just like, well, we tried. Uh, but this uh, Gen Z and everything, man, they keep going at it. 
is there a particular method of because TikTok's huge, but it's also a potential to be banned, I guess. I have no idea what the legality with that is or whatever, but TikTok's a way to get the movement uh, or the movements out there and get more news out there. So is Twitter. How do you guys feel about that kind of reach? Do you, cause it, it can be a, a bane as well, you know, and I, um, but I think for the most part, when I look at it as, as for um, activism and stuff like that, it's kind of helped more than I think it's hurt, but how do you feel about using that kind of um, uh, platform? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll put on my organizer hat for a second to answer that. Um, and hopefully it doesn't get too dry. But, I was you hoping know, you would. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, just, it's one of many tools we have, and it has um, definitely some some benefits. The ability to scale up and reach mass audiences very quickly has proven to be a game changer. I mean, they're, you know, what used to take, you know, months and months of organizing a mass march can suddenly take weeks and suddenly there's a million people on the streets for the women's march because someone tweeted something out, you know? Right. Um, and that's incredible. Um, the thing that we have to keep in mind is that there's still the nuts and bolts of organizing, of building power, people power, that has to do with the depth of our relationships, the depth of our commitment, and our ability to endure and withstand what is a long and difficult journey towards social change and progress. And that's not just going to happen on, you know, these very uh, momentary interactions on Twitter or TikTok. That still is going to require us to be, you know, really connecting with each other and forging the relationships that are the bedrock of this kind of long-term struggle. And that means meeting with people and creating like a deeper community and figuring out plans together. And um, and that that's that's a, a deeper process of organizing. And that's still what we need to be doing. All the social media stuff is great for education, awareness, getting the word out. But we need to be building institutions, organizations at the local level. Doesn't need to be something, you know, that's mm -hmm. a whole nonprofit or whatever. It can look like anything. It can be a group of friends, but people who are committed long term to doing work together and then can also hold each other up during the difficult times. There's not a straight, you know, there's not a straight path of the mountain with no setbacks. It's actually mostly setbacks. But because we endure, we make progress. And that's the history of social change. And that so we need to be digging deeper and have a, a more diverse toolbox of ways in which we are organizing. And this is where I think the younger generation, the older generation have so much to learn for each other. The kids are so, I say kids, but, um, you know, are so sharp with these new tools. But there's right. a lot of hard, grizzled lessons that us elders, <laughs> you know, and I guess I, I've, I've sort of become one myself. Um, have learned and can offer younger people because, um, you know, in our 20, 30 years of doing this stuff, we've we've learned some of the hard lessons that we don't want others to have to repeat from scratch. Right. Um, so that intergenerational dialogue is super important. And it means older activists really listening and trying to hear what younger activists, what they're how, you know, how they see the world, where they're coming from, all the amazing tools they have and younger activists to realize, oh, actually, you all have done some serious shit and have yeah. learned a whole lot. And like, we need to build on that. Not, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. I love that because I'm also, I'm sorry, Alan, I'll let you say something. No, okay. So, but here's the thing. I do love that. And I am admittedly one of those people who's slowly tried to step it back a bit. Like I'm, I'm all for learning from people who've come before me. I, I feel like that's like invaluable. I like learning from other people. Yeah. Um, but I also have it in me to, I do like during all this shit, I was very much like burn it all down. And I know that's not exactly the way to go, but I also feel frustrated by the slow speed, you know, with which everything takes pace. And I understand, I don't know how much of it is genuinely a process sometimes. And yes, this takes a long time to work it through or how much of it when people say that is bullshit. Cause I don't know where it's coming from. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I think you're just saying it because you don't want it to get to the next level. Like I'm a, a admittedly a Bernie guy. Um, I love, you know, I'm, I, uh, I'm, you know, obviously a bit of a, a more of a lefty or, or whatever than anything. And uh, I truly don't understand when people say you can't just do A, B, C, and D, you've got to start wherever it is, because I feel like people are suffering when you like, I, you know, mm -hmm. I understand it's, it's a really a hard mix. So I understand what you're saying. And uh, I think the younger generation can learn from the older one, but fucking a man. I just, sometimes I'm like, can we, can we please just get one little, like something health, like something across the board? And I don't know. I, I, I find that confusing for myself. Yeah. And, and I think you hit something, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Like 
going, you know, the long process of change doesn't necessarily mean having to work through institutions that no longer serve us. It often means right. building our own institutions and new institutions and making those clear demands without apology because shit needs to change. And it actually does need to change fast because we are in a state of crisis. And if we don't offer people solutions that make a real difference in their life in the immediate term and in the long term, um, someone else is going to be there to offer them a whole bunch of false solutions. And that's, you know, we've seen that process happen uh, you know, the, 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 the resurgence of these fascist movements uh, in yeah. America has really come in the vacuum of a lot of our establishment politicians failing to really understand the moment that people are demanding big and substantial change and to, to really be willing to break parts of the system that do not work and do not serve most people. Yeah. Um, and, um, and those, we need that kind of, you know, visionary, um, thinking from at, at the social movement level and the courage to really take on the existing system. Um, and that's the hard work, right? Because Absolutely. you are really battling the system. And so we need to gather our, our own communities, our own relationships, find the people we're going to work with long-term and, and, and fight for that. That's the uphill battle. It doesn't necessarily mean having to make compromises with a system that, um, mm. that is not designed to serve most of us. Right. Yeah. And, you know, John, if I can add something there, this is a, a moment, an era in which people are open to and actually demanding big transformative change. This is not a time for incrementalism. And I think uh, I certainly agree with Gan about the reciprocal learning of, of uh, you know, across generations. Uh, you know, I think it's also the case that our current uh, political leadership are still stuck in an incrementalist mode. Yes. We're going to tinker around the edges. And, you know, you do that, you piss off everybody, you don't get anything done. And, you know, this is a moment where, you know, people, things like, you know, universal basic income and reparations and, you know, things are getting traction yeah. that, you know, were dismissed out of hand for decades. This is the time to do those big things. Uh, and, you know, it needs to be done in a smart way. It needs to be done in a way mm -hmm. that brings people along. It can't just be imposed from above. Uh, but, you know, that's actually something exciting about the moment we're in, even as it's something very dangerous about mm -hmm. the moment we're in. Right. It, Donald Trump got elected because people were open to anything. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't give them something positive, they're going to go for something negative that feels like big change. Totally. One other, one other thing, just coming back to uh, the comic book. Yeah. We have characters that are coming at this crisis of democracy from multiple directions. So we have a character, Nia, who wants to burn it all down. In fact, when we meet her, she's burning it all down. Mm -hmm. We have a character, Autumn, who's actually working in, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't give it away, but she's, she's you know, part of the system. Mm -hmm. uh, and she wants to just restore the system. And you know, we have a MAGA voter who, you know, was deceived and is coming to grips with with that reality. And they do not agree on the nation that we should, uh, you know, have at, at the end of all this. That's a good thing. Right. That's a debate that we need to be having, even as we're working to create a more perfect union. Right. And I kind of wanted to ask you about that, too. Are these characters offsets of yourselves and your personalities and how you feel about what's going on? Or are these uh, people that you've met were, uh, through the years working on this? Like, where did you draw those inspirations from? It's a great, really great question. I mean, the characters are amalgams, right? Mm -hmm. But we did draw, we really tried to look at what was happening out there and create sort of these archetypal people who represented different points in our political debate that we're having as a country right now. So they do right. cross the entire political spectrum and they work inside the system or outside the system, or as, as um, Alan said, you know, we have a MAGA voter who is one of our main characters and we do not dismiss this character outright. We really try to get to the root of his own humanity and his trauma and things that have made him susceptible to um, to being a part of this, uh, the, the insurrection. Mm -hmm. And so we really looked at real people who are out in the world. We did demographic research, for example, for our MAGA character to see what was what were the commonalities between all these insurrectionists? And it was super interesting. They were older. They were white. They were not, you know, uh, working class in the way that it's often portrayed. They're actually middle class or mm -hmm. upper middle class. And um, they're living in places 
where there are major demographic shifts and they are just right. completely baffled and confused by a world that is changing around them. And they're not being given any understanding of that, except what they're being pumped, you know, is being pumped into their brains by Fox News. And they become very susceptible to this kind of, um, you know, uh, extremist messaging. But we did that research to build these characters um, in the story so that they're really a reflection of what's happening out there right now. Yeah, and it's really well done because every every single character in that book, I could name five people that they were exactly like. I'm like, oh my god, that's half of my family. That's this person that I know. That's fucking me. Uh, <laughs> like, oh my god. Um, and it's great. And I think that's going to be the thing that kind of brings everybody together when they do kind of read it. Because and you handle the the. I was that's another thing too. I wanted to point out and thank you for reminding me though. Like you handle the MAGA character very well with like a very, I I you don't belittle that person. You don't make anybody feel super shitty. Um, and it's the same thing with, I have family members who I know voted for Trump, but I know they were either mis like, I know they don't have a racist bone in their body or anything like that, but they were because of what they watched or what they read, they were scared for whatever reason and they don't understand it. And it's hard to sift through that. And I do think it's our responsibility, people who can sift through that kind of material to kind of construct something like the comic book in a way to go, okay, look, here's me explaining to you what's happening. And, and I think that's like one of the best ways to do it. Um, especially when, even when like the healthcare system was kind of failing, I remember having conversations uh, with my stepdad when he was alive and he was, he voted for Obama and stuff and, and whatever, but he was a traditional Republican, always had been a Republican for most of his, most of his life, but got him to vote for Obama, got him to swing onto Bernie's side just by basically constantly talking about, the healthcare system and the stuff that he went through and he had suffered from it. He passed away um, uh, from uh, causes from agent orange and, and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, having, having had those conversations, but it's long and it's arduous and it's hard. And that was one person. And I was extremely happy to be able to talk to somebody that closely, but with your comic book, I think you guys, you guys, you're going to reach people on a global level. That's going to like really, really make an impact. And I'm like, just thrilled <laughs> like it makes me it gives me hope so i appreciate that because sometimes it's hard to hang on to uh and 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 real quick i'd love to get both of you is there an is there a point in your lives when you started your political activism is there one thing that set it off for you guys because i'm assuming you had other dreams when you were kids <laughs> and it, maybe it wasn't fully formed like this but what could you remember the thing that made you go i really need to step up and do something well, my dream was to uh, make comic books. So, you know, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. But, um, you know, I, I come from a family of activists. My parents were public school teachers, but they were also civil rights activists. My mom, uh, you know, her her first political act was when she was in college. She went to Temple University and uh, this was uh, in the 50s. And, and they were it was a blood drive and this the Red Cross was making them segregate the blood, white and Negro blood. Wow. Uh, and <clears throat> she, you know, she's like, here, you've got me, you know, trying to serve my country and you have me deeply engaged in segregation. And so she and her sister uh, worked with the vets because, you know, a lot of vets in college at that time on the GI Bill and they protested and won. Wow. And so, you know, I grew up hearing that story. She was, a, a you know, raised money for, uh, Angela Davis, a political prisoner, you know, she got to know Dr. King just, you know, not as a, she was not a professional civil rights worker. She was just somebody who, who deeply cared and was engaged and, and, uh, my dad as well. So it, it, you know, was not a surprise, I guess that I, you know, I would go into this work and all of my work has kind of been at the intersection of storytelling and, and social justice. Um, I think the, the first, Thing that I remember getting involved in was the, uh, you know, around the murders of of uh, black men and boys in Atlanta. Uh, you guys are too young to remember that, but I think there's been a movie about it. Uh, it was a, you know, serial killings and nobody yeah. to care, uh, and you know that was my. So I was a you know black teenager, and some of these, you know, young men who were being killed uh, were were my age. Reminded me of myself and yet nobody seemed to be uh you know excited uh, up in arms about these murders so that that was my first uh kind of direct engagement wow mm. what about you gone 
Yeah, I mean, it, some similarities to Alan in that I was raised within an activist family. I had the benefit of that, you know, parents who were part of social movements in the 60s and 70s. And my parents, interestingly enough, were the caretakers when they first came to the United States. They were immigrants uh, at, a, at a Unitarian church in the 70s. Um, and this church was progressive by nature. So there was a constant parade of like activists. And this was the seventies, fresh off the sixties. So like, mm. you know, I met black Panthers when I was, you know probably running around in diapers um, <laughs> and Buddhist priests and all kinds of really interesting stuff. But one thing came to mind, which is that this was in Los Angeles. We were directly across the street from the veterans administration, the largest VA hospital in um, I think on the West coast. Right. And, um, and that meant two things. Number one, there were a lot of vets around who were fresh off the Vietnam War mm. and they would come to the church. And I was a young kid and I would look up to these like older guys and I I realized how broken they were. And when they would share, I would sort of as a kid sit in some of these circles where they would be sharing some of their experience. And it really helped me understand like a lot of big picture stuff about how um, these, these young men were treated as disposable for a war that was completely unjust and they mm. were made to participate and be responsible in, in just unspeakable crimes that they themselves couldn't even talk about. And um, that hit me pretty hard as a kid, even though I couldn't fully understand it all. And then um, 1980 happens, uh, Reagan is elected. And you know this sort of right-wing pro-war guy, one of the first things he does is cut massively funding for, uh, for veterans care. And yeah. overnight, it was just a conveyor belt of guys with untreated mental health issues literally being kicked out on the street. And where did they end up? They ended up right on our doorstep, either trying to participate in church activities or sleeping in the bushes. And that's when the homeless crisis in America really went into overdrive was the cutting of veterans care by Ronald Reagan that suddenly put, you know, a over a million people out onto the streets, which were actually veterans who fought in US wars suffering from PTSD. And I that was all around me. So I remember seeing that and just understanding there was really a big picture of structural problems uh, in this country. Um, people who were motivated by terrible, you know, greed, power, and treating, you know, human beings as disposable and seeing the real human impacts of that literally right on our doorstep. And that really was one thing that I think um, hit me very personally as, as a young person and made me start to think about the big picture of like, whoa, what is happening here? How do we get here? And how do we take care of people? How do we change this? Yeah, absolutely, man. Those are, those are two amazing stories. And how do we take care of people is another, I think that's the, that's the thing that I think that eats away at me. And I think it eats away at a lot of people. Cause I don't think we're not an, I don't think we're an unempathetic country to a certain extent. I think there's a lot of people with, that do have a lot of empathy. And I think it's very hard when you have a news cycle that seems to show people genuinely uncaring or just cruel or mean, like on a 24 hour, uh, you know, any of the news stations, 24 seven, they do that kind of shit. Like Fox news. If you watch it, I just watched this or I read this piece about, um, basically that there's a, uh, you know, a profit to be made against, um, fear mongering. Obviously we all know that. And like, and also like a negative kind of energy that's put out there. Um, when you were interviewing reporters and stuff like that and, and kind of gathering information for this, did you guys know where you were going or did you often come across any kind of real opposition toward the book or toward you? Did you feel any of that? You know, we really didn't. I mean, uh, you know, That's real good news. <laughs> Cause yeah, I was I mean, wondering as I was like, they had to put this together, man. Did they, did they have any kind of like, you know, hard time doing it? No, I mean, th there was a lot and continues to be a, a lot of enthusiasm. I mean, honestly, it's, it's how we knew that this was worth doing. Right. Uh, Cause you know, I mean, it was an idea uh, and you know, we both thought it was a good idea, but you know, we, you know, if you build it, that doesn't mean that they're going to come. And uh, you know, we, as we talked to reporters and, you know, experts on, on uh, Christian nationalism and disinformation and all that uh, people were very enthusiastic about having the story told in, you know, through this medium mm -hmm. and um, really, you know, not much opposition. I mean, as I say, we've, we've had our haters uh, in, you know, kind of right wing media and blogosphere. But, um, you know, it's it's kind of like, yeah, they, they they exaggerated too much. That's their big, you know, critique. So, right. Sure. Uh, yeah, we haven't 
I, well, speaking of myself, I have not run into much opposition. Uh, you know, okay. neither have I. And I think, uh, you know, as Alan pointed out, when we were speaking to journalists, sorry if I look like I'm from the Blair Witch Project right now. I, just realized, <laughs> I, I was doing this all with natural light and the sun went down and I was like, oh my God, what's happening here? I'm just looking. No, that's exactly <laughs> the film I was thinking I'm, of. I'm yeah. An undisclosed location in a bunker. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. This is one of those um, things where somebody appears behind you and takes you out of the frame, and Alan right. and I are like, "We well, have to save him." Right. Yeah. This is just the setup for the yeah, yeah. Uh, we're like, for the oh, film God. version that we're going to put out to. You. Um, <laughs> the uh, um, but you know, I think it's been very cathartic for people. There has been a very intentional attempt to gaslight America and say, "Do not believe what you yourself saw with your own sure. eyes on January 6th. And you know, Tucker Carlson's whole sort of revisionist. You know, I keep thinking, yeah. like, what would Tucker Carlson's next you know, filmic uh, feet be, you know, it's like re-editing the World War II footage and saying, you know, these were just <laughs> nappy dressers who were tourists who love to visit other countries, you know, look the at them. The Titanic didn't sink, what, you it's know, still sailing today. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What's so dangerous about these guys? They look fantastic. And yeah, yeah. Suit, you know, um, and and so there, that's been a very intentional attempt since day one, you know, saying that Antifa did it. You notice they're not saying that anymore because right. literally every person who was part of the insurrection was on film or on social media saying, hey, we're here. here here's me committing a crime very proudly. Yeah. And here's my politics. And so there's been a successive attempt to get us to to forget what has what actually happened, to disbelieve what we ourselves saw and to create this alternative narrative. So what we've encountered is people is just like, it's so cathartic just to like have someone name the truth of what happened and just to confirm what we saw with our own eyes um, and, and help us, you know, really focus in, you know, the, the, the surreal effect you have when someone is bullshitting you yeah. that is sort of disorienting. Like when you, you know, when they almost seem to believe themselves what they're saying. Now we know that they don't, they didn't believe what they were saying on Fox news, right. but um you know, I think it's a, it's a it's a psychological salve for people. So we found it was very welcomed by people and actually sort of therapeutic and, and soothing to see this 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 terrible thing depicted uh, in comic book form. But also it's an acknowledgement of truth, you know, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I won't reveal what it is, but the the statue that you guys have, you know, in the comic book that pops up, I was like. Yeah, that's that's we're real fucking close. Uh, <laughs> like when you guys read it, like it's going to be nuts because it's it, that is that is one of those things that you could totally see happening. Um, I want to ask uh, you guys a couple more things. Do you have any and I know this is probably jumping the gun here. Any other plans to do more stuff? Like, I mean, this is, uh, I think, obviously going to be a huge hit and it's amazing that you guys did it. But do you have any other plans? You like what else can we tackle in this way moving forward? Yeah, you know, we we got three more issues to publish. So, okay. you know, that's kind of um, keeping us busy right now. But, you know, yeah, we, we had to create uh, this, you know, our imprint, 1-6 Comics. Sure. So, yeah, so who knows, you know, if the demand yeah. is there. Yeah, I'm just saying you guys got to do something when the next insurrection hits because uh, <laughs> don't... hopefully there won't be another one, but I'm not, I'm not too sure, man. I don't have a lot of faith in... Uh between DeSantis, Trump, and uh, now what's her name running at the same time. It, it's it's going to be fucking nightmarish. Also, I don't, do you guys, let me ask you this. I don't know if you care to get into the uh, political side of it too much. Do you think that Biden's going to run again? And do you think he'll win? Wow. You're going to go there. Yeah, I yeah. am going to go there. I need, yeah. I need something. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. It's a it's a really good question. You know, I think the Democratic Party is 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 somewhat locked in um, mm -hmm. and they made that choice. You know, yep. there was a decision point Biden versus Bernie. I remember the the whole narrative. Bernie's too old. You don't oh, hear that talking point anymore. I know. Right. Um, it's insane. Dude, yeah. I remember watching. This is the deliberate shit that the media does sometimes that blows me away. I remember uh, Bernie was in the lead um, and, uh, you know, he was doing really well, whatever. And there was a I can't remember the CNN anchor. CNN anchors on and there's a thing on the bottom of the scroll and it says Bernie Sanders and COVID-19 can either be stopped. And I was just like, oh. I took a screenshot oh. of it. Cause I was like, this is like, right. I, I was, you know, it, it was like deliberate and people were like, no, the media is not against that guy, you know, or whatever it was. And I'm like, that's insane. I also remember another person saying, cause Klobuchar came in third and Bernie came in first and one of the anchors was like, you could say that third place is the new first. And I was like, yeah, or 
I remember that. <laughs> you know, right? right? And I was like, and I and I had to record this stuff or like screen record it because I was like, I I just for my own sanity, you know. But I'm sorry, I didn't, didn't mean to interrupt. But I could, I you know, there's that there's that shit going on too. Yeah. You 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 bring up a, at the core of that is a really good point, which is that um, again, the only way to defeat this this sort of Trumpist movement, whether it has Trump or not, is a forward facing vision uh that everybody can buy into and feels um that they can that actually genuinely serves uh the needs of people and and in the vacuum of that certainly not being offered by the republicans and often weakly being offered by the democrats it just creates the opportunity for all this sort of culture war nonsensical things that do nothing to to improve people's lives have no policies that are going to improve um, the lives of Americans in any way, it creates that vacuum. And so the same, regardless of who the candidate is, um, you know, if Democrats want to win, they have to demonstrate their commitment, not just on the campaign trail, but in terms of fighting tooth and nail, win or lose for policies that Americans can recognize saying that is them fighting for me. Yeah. And, um, and if we don't see that vigorously and aggressively, um, then it really leaves the door open for all of these, uh, you know, the fear mongers to step in and um, and offer something to people that, um, you know, a, creates fear and then tries to solve that fear, but um, really offers them nothing of substance. And so that's the danger. And that's, I think, the mission, no matter who the candidate is. Right. Alan. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, I, I'm a communications guy mm -hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm an independent. I'm neither a Democrat nor uh, a Republican, although I'm a progressive. Right. Democrats don't know how to tell their own story. Uh, they don't understand how to communicate their values. Uh, and therefore, their communications tend to be just a cobbling together of issues and constituencies. And that can only be successful in rare moments. It can be successful uh, you know, in the wake of a disastrous Trump presidency, but just barely, uh, mm -hmm. it, you know, it can be successful, you know, the week after Roe versus Wade is overturned and Americans are, are uh, you know, it's brought home to Americans the difference uh, between, uh, you know, worldviews. But, you know, you can't rely on that. And, uh, you know, I think my, my own view is, you know, Joe Biden saved our democracy. Mm. Uh, take a victory lap and pass the torch to somebody else. Agreed. Completely agree. And and the thing, too, is uh, to both your points, the DNC, I found it um, extremely frustrating watching uh, when they all got together at the convention, like, uh, you know, uh, before the election, uh, that nobody took any responsibility for what led up to it. They just had other Republicans on stage and they thought it was like a Marvel team up or whatever, where they, you know, we're coming, but not, nobody ever said like, look, we made the mistakes we made and the, and the, and the, you know, inability to be clear about what we value is what led to the last four years. And we're going to make amends for that. It was just like, none of it, you know, uh, we don't know how it would happen and it's the voters fault and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I need some kind of, uh, you know, uh, somebody taking some kind of responsibility for that shit. So uh, it's a it's a real bummer. Um, I've it's almost the hour mark. I got to ask you guys one. I want to thank you both for coming on and uh, putting up with my bizarrely long. Like my questions were like twofold. And I don't know what I mean. I think my ADD is kicking in hardcore tonight. I don't know what's going on. Um, but I want to thank you both for, for coming on. And I got to ask you guys the three questions that I ask every guest that's been on the show. Um, and you can decide who wants to go first. Uh, first question is a bit of a softball one, but, um, if you can go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today? Wow. I would have told myself to, um, find my wife earlier. <laughs> nice. It, yeah. A lot of wasted time, you know? And so, yeah, I, I, I'm very happy with the trajectory that my life has taken uh you know but uh that yeah that would have solved a lot of problems beautiful man and gone i don't know if you're married but if you don't say the wife thing you're you're screwed buddy <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard one to follow man kids, i know uh, right? there you go uh, dude 
Um, oh, wow. That is such a profound question. Um, I keep trying to talk to my, my future self and past self uh, as well. Um, but, you know, um, just reassurance and, and saying like, you know, th again, it's a, it, this is a, this is a, a difficult road that mm -hmm. we are on in this moment in history. And, um, and, and what we each choose to do as individuals matter. So, you know, um, in those times of uncertainty, just, just double redouble your commitment to, to your values and the things that matter, which are about, you know, taking care of each other and the people that you love, but also the many people that you you don't even know and um, and taking care of our planet and that there will be others more and more every day who will who will join in that struggle. And so just just keep the faith and keep going. We don't know where this is all going to lead. That's why I want to talk to my future self. Nice. Um, but um, but, you know, you find your way amidst amidst the turmoil, amidst the storm by just charting a clear course based on on values of kindness, care um, and a, and a commitment to justice for for everyone, and that's a, that's a pretty good compass, I think. Yeah. To follow, and um, I was I'm grateful to have been handed that compass, often by ancestors, previous generations, my elders. But um, yeah, I think if we can all just um, stay the course, um, we'll get to a better place. Beautiful, man. Um, and by the way, I know full well that going back in time and talking to your younger self is probably going to be scary and traumatic for your younger self. I keep <laughs> thinking about that. Like people are like, I would shake me. And I'm like, I wouldn't do that. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, on second thought, maybe I won't talk to him because he'll be so freaked out when he sees me. He's like, I don't want to become you. No way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my younger self is going to say, dude, what happened to your hair? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Man. I'm sorry. Yeah. I tried. Yeah. Oh God, that's great. Uh, second question is, what had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are right now? Hmm. Mm. That's a great question. What had to end in my life? You know, f for me, I think um, I, I'm trying to articulate it in terms of an an ending. I'm, um, you know, in a much more uh, Zen place than I was as a younger person, not because I don't think terrible things are happening, but I'm much more comfortable with doing what I can do. Uh, and that, um, you know, this, I'm, I'm a human, there's only so much I can do. And so I guess the ending was the ending of my hubris of thinking I could you know, change everything. I can change what I can change. And I, I you know, I, I know as long as I, uh, you know, do everything I can do, then, you know, I need to be satisfied with that, even if uh, more work needs to be done by others. It's great, man. What about you, Gun? Wow, I'm learning from Alan right as we speak, um, <laughs> the things that I, I might need to let go of as well. But, you know, as, as, as a parent, as, and my, my children are young, two years, four years, uh, two girls, um, you know, that was a, obviously a life changer for me. And, you know, I have faced as a lifelong activist, this struggle between, you know, do I dedicate my time and my energy to changing the future that my children are going to live in? Or do I dedicate it to the present in which they need me right now? And that's a constant struggle, but I'm learning more about how to balance those. And, um, and to Alan's point, you know, I'm not the one who's going to change everything. So I also need to be there for the people who, who need me right now. And um, I need to be more things than just an activist. And, um, and so there's an end to, to sort of that I, being my only and primary identity. And, um, and that's a good thing. I think it's made me much more grounded in, in the here and now and, and much more available to the people who um, need me and whom I love, my wife, my kids, my family. And, um, and, and being willing to, you know, also let go and become more of a, like we were saying, an elder activist who is helping support younger activists yeah. rather than the person who needs to be at the forefront or in the spotlight. And I've really enjoyed that transition, actually. If I were to name the thing that has to end, it's like, I don't need to be at the front lines. I need to be supporting the people who are at the front lines. Nice, man. Absolutely. And I think that's an important message, too, for the younger activists as well, though, too. I mean, I always wonder when I see like um, 
you know, those Parkland students, you know, at Congress and stuff like that. And I'm like, my God, like, I know they've been traumatic experience, but they're 18 years old. I hope they don't know they have to spend every day in front of con like, I hope they're living some kind of youthful existence or, or, and I'm sure they are, but it is one of those things where you're like, I didn't have to do that when I was younger. I didn't, I didn't have to do any of that stuff. And even the ones that are just going up and protesting and stuff now, I'm like, man, I hope you're enjoying some of the youth because it's, it's going to go by quick. Um, it's nice to bring it down. Uh, <laughs> um, but the last question ties into the show. It's a fun question. Um, if this was a genuine dystopia, more so than it is now, <laughs> and uh, you woke up the next day and you found out last day for everybody, what do you think would be the event? Would it be government collapse? Um, would it be climate change finally hitting, or would it be something more absurd like, you know, a uh, uh, comet heading toward the earth, alien zombies, whatever you would want it to be. And how would you go out? What would be your epic death? Wait, you this said the fun question. Fun question. <laughs> it's a fun question. Hey, listen, it's a fun question because you get to just choose, you know, something absurd. I, I, you know, I'll give you an example. Colin Mockery from Whose Line Is Anyway said he wants to go out um, <laughs> in bed with aliens. He wants them to need his sperm to keep their civilization going. So they make love to him until he's a husk. So it could be serious or it could be wow. ridiculous. It's up to wow. you guys. It's it's your last day. So whatever you want it to be. My last day. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I got to go back to the wife answer. You know, I mean, yeah, I, yeah huddle up with the fam and, um, you know, watch The Simpsons. Night. See, that's we've never had anybody say that. I like to know people's preferences. Simpsons are classic. They're great. Yeah. Treehouse um, of Horror. Oh, Treehouse yeah. of Horrors are the best. They're so fucking good. Do the marathon um, until the the meteor hit. Let me ask you this, because I know every dude has to eat something while they're watching something, or else that they would wind up. It doesn't count. What are you eating? What am I eating? Uh, I think it's like um, popcorn, but like the. The fancy, you know, it's the last day. So like yeah, the, the caramel truffle, you know, <sighs> nutty popcorn. Absolutely. Wasn't expecting that answer, but that's a great answer because now I want some. <laughs> what about you, man? Oh, man. Last day, apocalypse. We're going out. I think I just want a big apology from God or aliens or whoever is out there saying, you know, admit it was their mistake. Um, you know, that's what I want. Some justice that's, for the whole so thing. Great. Um, you know, but hopefully the aliens come back and say, oh, yeah, we forgot we were running this experiment. Sorry, guys. We, sort of, <laughs> we, we forgot this planet was still going. Um, yeah, things got a little out of hand. The garden got a little bit crazy, but um, we're going yeah. to transplant you into the into a new garden and uh, uh. give you the attention you deserve. So maybe there's a hopeful reincarnation uh, story there. But yeah, yeah, there needs to be some some accountability. I love that. Or the world we live in. I love that idea. The idea that aliens are like, oh shit, is this still plugged in? Uh, <laughs> we, we, we needed a hard reboot this like two millennia ago. Uh, that is great. Dude, it's, it's been a blast talking to you both. Um, and the hour flew by. I hope you had a good time. Um, and I can't wait for the other issues to come out, man. It's, it's fucking awesome. And I'm privileged to be able to speak to you both and be able to read it in advance. Thank you. Thanks so much. One, one six comics.com. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. This was a blast and appreciate the, the depth and, and fun to, to having this conversation. And thank you both so much. Yep. Right. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. Peace.